good morning, everyone. Welcome to Worship at Fusion this morning. We're so glad that you've joined us here in person as well as online. Welcome to you. At this time, we invite you to stand up and greet one another with the peace of Christ. From Psalm 36. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, your justice like the great deep. Amen. Let's sing praises to him this morning. Chain will break. 
wretch I remember who I was I was lost I was blind I was running out of time and sin separated the breach was far too wide but from the far side of the chasm you held me in your sight
Good morning, Fusion community. Everyone well this morning? Good. Okay. I invite the um, children to go join uh, Miss Janet over there by the door, and we will um, do our greetings for our children. Here they come. I see the energy starting to rise. They're starting to move faster. I don't think they had enough sugar cereal this morning. One of the joys we have every um, Sunday is sending our children off with a blessing. So children, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready over there, Jan? Ready? Okay. Adults, the Lord be with you. Okay, on a scale of 1 to 10, I give you all a 6 this morning. (laughs) Sorry, my voice is all over the place today. It's good to see everybody here, and we are thankful um, for your participation in this community, for your prayers, um, for your financial gifts, for the ways that you serve. It what makes all this possible. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. We'll begin our prayer with a reading from Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for where the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Gracious Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming into your presence. We thank you for the privilege of worshiping you. We pray that through the singing of song this morning and through hearing the preaching of your word and through our prayers, that our lives will be shaped even more and more into the image of Christ and that we will learn to live as your disciples, disciples who love you and disciples who invite others to join us in a journey of learning to love and follow you through their entire lives. We thank you for the Watershed community We thank you for the celebration community that I've already met this morning and worshiped you. We thank you for the ways that you are at work in their lives and the ways that you are at work in the lives of this community. We pray for those in this community that are struggling with health issues, whether they be physical, whether they be mental health issues. We pray for those who are struggling with relational issues. We pray that you would be close to them, that you would walk alongside them, that they might feel your presence in a unique way and that you might provide wisdom and discernment through the community that allows them to be nurtured during these difficult times. Gracious Father, may we be a community that lives together in unity. May we be a community that walks with each other, that bears with each other's burdens, that rejoices with those who rejoice, and that weeps with those who weep. May we be a community that exudes your love in all of our relationships, both with those inside the community and outside the community. And when people ask why we have such great love, may our response be a simple one. We love because you first loved us. So Lord, bless us now. Prepare our hearts for the preaching of your word. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning, we're privileged to have with us um, Dr. Tanner Smith. Um, Dr. Smith is the Executive Director for Colossium Forum in Grand Rapids. Colossium Forum is a ministry that's devoted to helping people have... 
difficult conversations about critical topics in a manner that promotes discipleship. I think I got that right. That's perfect. Perfect. Yeah, okay, great. good. Yeah, so please write that um, down. give Fusion a warm welcome to Tanner Smith. Thanks, Darwin. <clears throat> Darwin, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write that down and put it on our website. I think that says it better than our website does. So thank you. Good morning, everybody. It's really nice to be with you. Um, I was invited here. I've actually known uh, Sarah since our time at Hope College, which wasn't that long ago, um, three or four years ago. And, uh, and Pastor JB I've known since he was at Hope College. He was, uh, he was like a freshman or sophomore there, I think. Freshman year at Hope, I think. I was a, doing youth ministry in Hudsonville, Michigan. I needed an intern. JB was looking at, uh, he was pre-med, and um, I had a beautiful plan for his life, which didn't involve uh, being a doctor. So anyways, um, he came in and uh, worked with me in a, at a youth ministry in Hudsonville, and just we had a great relationship and friendship over the years. So that's why I get to be here today. I'm really happy to be with you. Thanks for having me. I wonder if you would join your hearts with mine as we pray. Living God, we ask that you in this moment would open up our minds and our hearts, our hands and our feet as we listen to your word. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, stir inside of us that we might become more like you, O Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. If you're able, would you please stand for uh, the reading of the word? Probably a very familiar passage, especially if you've been to a wedding anytime recently. Maybe you're going to hear this soon, but we're going to start right in the middle of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's the first letter of uh, the Apostle Paul to a church in a city called Corinth. It goes like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. So, my wife, Kristen, and I, we have four kids, um, and one of them is 14 years old. She's a 14-year-old fireball. I think most 14-year-olds are a fireball, but she definitely is a 14-year-old fireball. And I feel like over the years, as her uh, independence has grown, it's created more opportunities for us to explore how to love in the midst of conflict. Um, because I, I don't know how to parent a 14-year-old young woman. I have no idea. I lost the manual, and you can't download one on the internet. It, I just have no idea. And, and usually it's because of her growing independence, which she absolutely should be, do, be doing, and my uh, absolute soul-crushing fear of raising a 14-year-old. I don't feel like you're really with me on this. Do any of you have a 14-year-old? Okay. I can see the terror in your eyes. You don't have to... Because oftentimes I'm trying to be helpful, but what I'm doing is being hurtful. 
And I never really know where the line between helping and hurting is. So a couple weeks ago, um, I had one of those moments where I was trying to be a good dad and trying to be helpful, but I ended up being hurtful. And um, it was close enough to bedtime that we, you know, everybody went to bed, and I just laid there, and I just tossed and turned because I knew I had screwed up. I knew I didn't do the right thing, and I just laid there waiting for morning so that I could have a conversation with her. I wasn't going to go wake her up in the middle of the night because that I knew for a fact that was a very bad idea. That one I got right, but I just spun and spun. And, and inside of me, what, what that was I was experiencing was a longing. You're familiar with the idea of a longing, this heart's desire that you have, this deep need. I had a longing to be connected with her and to experience the love and connection that we share. I had a longing to tell her that I was sorry and that I would do better and that I was committed to doing better. I had a longing. Love is all about longing. It's all about desire, right? We have this longing to be connected with others. In fact, every human being you've ever met, every single human being you've ever met has a deep longing inside of them, and it is, it is this, to be known for who they really are and to be loved. To be known and loved for who we really are. And that longing that all of us have is accompanied by a deep fear that that is not possible, that it's not realistic, that if anybody actually knew us, they could no longer love us. To be loved, we must hide some part of ourselves because that part of us cannot be loved. It is unlovable. There's this voice of shame inside of each and every one of us. You inherited it. So did your ancestors. They inherited it, and they inherited it. It's a chief part of what it means to be born in sin be born sinful. There's this voice inside of us that says that you have to hide if you want to be accepted. And there's this longing because a part of us knows if I'm wearing a mask, only the mask can receive love. I can't actually receive love. So there's this longing to be connected with other people, and there's this fear that it's not actually possible. And every single time I mess up as a father with my 14-year-old, and I confuse the line between helpful and hurting, there's, an op- there's, a, there's a path, right? A, 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 the path diverges. I can double down, and I can tell my daughter that it's true, that she has to hide a part of herself because I have to hide a part of myself, or I can step into... Uh, lean into increased vulnerability and trust, and I can go to her and say, I just want to be connected to you, and I'm sorry. Tell me how to be a better dad. Tell me how to be the dad that you need me to be. And we have that opportunity in every single relationship that we have. The problem is, usually in my life, I choose the first one where I want to hide more, right? So, this morning, we all have these difficult relationships Uh, We all have relationships. Sometimes they're difficult. Sometimes we have these ruptures like I had with my daughter. And in that moment, there's an opportunity to love. Paul writes about love, but I want to get really specific about what love actually does in those moments when there's conflict, when things are difficult. At the organization I work for, the Colossian Forum, we say that conflict is an opportunity. And for some of you, it's conflict is an opportunity to run away. Or conflict is an opportunity to get really, really angry and break things. We think that conflict is an opportunity to grow in our Christ-likeness. There's an energy when there's conflict. 
Whenever things are hard, there's energy there, right? Just like the energy that I had when I was laying in bed. There was energy there thinking about how I wanted to be reconnected with my daughter. And that energy can be harnessed by the Holy Spirit to transform us so that we look more like the person of Jesus Christ and in his way. It's, conflict is the litmus test. It's the testing ground for love. So this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. How do we love in such a way that the people in our lives know that they can be known and loved for who they really are? Healthy relationships. Let me start by saying this. In all healthy relationships, there is rupture. Every healthy relationship has moments of rupture. The really healthy relationships, the truly healthy ones, are the ones where we risk rupture. We risk conflict with each other because we know that repair is possible. We know that the person that we are connected with will absolutely move toward us in the midst of conflict to help repair what has been broken. That is actually, that's one of my parenting goals. Not that I would get every single thing right. I think I used to want that, but I'm so far behind at this point. It's never going to happen. My goal now is that my kids would know that when rupture happens, because it will, that repair is possible. Not just possible, it is guaranteed. We are going to do the repair work. That's what I want them to know because that creates the kind of safety that'll help us to continue to grow together. We know that we can be known and loved. We can take that risk, even when it's not pretty. So let's talk about that. What does it mean to love in a world full of relationships where rupture happens all the time and where repair is possible? Paul talks about it like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. I love what Paul says about love here because it's very action-oriented. Love is. It's a description. Love is patient. Love is kind. He tells you what it is, but then he does something. He makes a little turn. He does something we call the via negativa, which is the, the, the thing that is not, the path that is not. So he tells you what it doesn't look like. Sometimes the best way to get a sense of what something is is to understand what it is not. So Paul does that here. He says, it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. And then he gives us this, the four things that love always is and does. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So we're going to zoom in on verse 7, the four things that love always does, and hopefully give you some concrete uh, ways of moving towards repair in those relationships where there's been a rupture. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. What if I told you that there was a relationship where you could be protected no matter what? That this person would always protect you, always have your back. That you could trust them no matter what because they would never ever let you down. You could always hope because that person would always do what was right for you. They would always have your best interest in mind, that no matter what, they would never, ever give up on you. That's the thing that we all long for, the thing we all want, and it also feels like not totally possible. We have people in our lives who do this most of the time, but we don't have any people in our lives who do this all the time. And we wish we were the kinds of people who could do this all the time, but we recognize that that doesn't always happen. The reality is, if you have relationships with other people, they will fall short. There's this book by a guy named N. Scott Peck. He's a doctor, a medical doctor, called The Road Less Traveled. It's 20-some years old. Maybe some of you have read it. 
But in it, he's kind of a downer here. I'm really sorry. And happy Mother's Day, by the way. <coughs> but he's kind of a downer here, but he speaks the truth. He says, love always requires courage, and it involves risk. Why? Because if you trust anybody, he says you may get hurt. You will get hurt. When you trust people, you will be hurt. If you depend on anyone, that person will let you down eventually. If someone is determined not to risk pain, then that person is going to have to do without a lot of things. You won't be able to ever have children or have any relationships with children ever. You can't get married or have any kind of love interest. <clears throat> if you have any ambition, you might as well let go of it. If you want to have friends, you can forget that too. Every single thing that makes life alive, meaningful, and significant, you have to let go of it if you're not willing to risk pain. Because the reality is when you have relationships with people, you will hurt each other. That is part of it. He says, if you move out or grow in any dimension, pain as well as joy will be your reward. This guy, I mean, imagine inviting him to a cocktail party. Not, he says, a full life will be a life full of pain. But the only alternative, the only alternative is not to live fully or not to live at all. Whew. I think what Dr. Peck means is love isn't perfect. Eventually, it will lead to some kind of pain. Hopefully, that pain will also lead to some kind of healing. But refusing to love is refusing to live. So, let's get really practical. How do we love in a world where we know that there will be pain? The first one we want to look at is love always protects. Love always protects. Now, the word protect that's translated here as protect anyways, because the New Testament was written in Greek. Uh, the word that's translated as protect here, the, the vision that we get, a picture we get is of a roof, a shelter being put over someone's head. Love is a roof. Love is a shelter. I think that's a beautiful image. Love is a shelter. Love is a roof. So what, really practically what this means is that when someone is in a storm, love says, come in out of the storm. Come on in. I've got a shelter. We've got a place where we can protect you. Just take a step out of the storm and, and get a little break from all the wind and the rain and the hail and the danger. Just come on in. So if somebody says, I lost my job. I mean, if you've ever had to say those words, you know the kind of shame, the kind of fear that's just dripping from those words. I lost my job, right? Or I'm depressed and I just don't feel like I can get out of bed in the morning. I don't want to do anything. I don't, there's no fun in anything. There's no joy in anything. It's all gone. Somebody says that to you. You know, if you've ever had to say those words, you know how heavy that is to admit something like that. Or to say, I don't think our marriage is going to make it. I don't think we can do it. Or to say, I'm addicted. I can't quit this thing. And I know it's killing me, but I can't stop. Or to say, years ago, something terrible happened to me. Or I don't feel safe in my home. Or I'm not sure how we're going to pay the bills this month. We're not going to be able to get by. When someone says that, love is a shelter. Love is a roof. That's when love goes into action. Love says, okay, 
um, you know what, I'll drive you to, I know a really great counselor, I'll drive you there. Or I know a really great rehab facility, I'll, I'll take you there and we'll get you checked in and it's going to be okay, we're going to walk alongside of you. Or I'll buy you a cup of coffee, I, I want you to just tell me whatever part of the story you want to tell me and I'll, I'll sit and listen. Right? I'll, I'll, we'll help you get through this month, we know you, it's hard to make ends meet, but we have a way to help you with that, we'll, we'll help you pay the bills this month. You're sick. I'm going to bring over soup. My grandma has this amazing soup recipe. I'm going to bring it over. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some bread, too. We're gonna, I'm going to come on over, and I'll, I'll bring that to you right away, right? I mean, that's, that's what love looks like. It's these little moves that we make toward one another when we're struggling to say, you're not alone. There's a roof. Come in out of the storm. Take a break. I'm going to be with you. That's what love does. It always protects. Love and this has been heartbreaking for me to learn as a parent. Love cannot guarantee that bad things will never happen. And I wish, I wish I could guarantee that my kids would never get hurt. I wish I could guarantee that your kids would never get hurt. Love cannot guarantee that bad things will never happen. But love can guarantee that when bad things happen, you will never have to do it alone. That's what love does. It's a shelter. Now, I can build a shelter and I can invite you to come in out of the rain. But what do you have to do? Say yes. You have to come in out of the rain. I was a kid growing up uh, in the plains of Iowa. I'd be out playing in the fields and the forests. It's exactly as idyllic as you've seen in the movies. Um, and the sky would turn green, and my mom would call, you need to come in now. In Iowa, when the sky turns green means something terrible is about to happen. There's going to be a biblical storm of some kind. And if you're an Iowan, it means you go stand out in your front yard and see if you can see where the tornado is coming from. That's usually what it means. But when it turns green like that, and you're a kid, you're like nine years old, and you're just in your element playing, you don't look up and you don't realize when this is going to happen. So mom calls and says, get in the house now. It's time to come in. I still had to make a choice about whether or not I was going to go inside. Because the thing I was doing was really, really fun. And my choice hinged on my level of trust for my mother knowing what was best for me. Because I was having a lot of fun. <laughs> I had to trust her when she told me that it was time to come in. Love always trusts. You can build a shelter, but without trust... Nobody's going to climb underneath that shelter. Love always trusts. Trust is just like love. It's a beautiful idea, but it involves a lot of risk. Trust makes us vulnerable. When you trust somebody, you're opening yourself up to a whole world of possibilities where you can get hurt or disappointed or let down. I know a, a lot of people find it very difficult to trust. I know that I, I do. I have a hard, difficult relationship with trust. And it's just difficult for me to, to trust that people actually have my best interest in mind. I always have these other narratives in my head, and I've had to battle those over the years and rewrite those scripts in some way and find people who are trustworthy who help me rebuild that. Maybe you have something similar there. But the, what I've learned in my own life is that if I'm unwilling to take the risk to trust other people, it just leaves me alone and lonely. And that longing just gets bigger to be connected with others keeps me from connecting deeply with other people. So trust and love, are they go right together. So the key, one of the keys at least to, to taking the risk of trusting others, to opening ourselves up, is um, 
is, is knowing ourselves to be deeply loved for who we are. Now, let me explain a little bit more. There's this author named Henry Nouwen. He wrote a book called Life of the Beloved. He's written many books. Um, one of them is Life of the Beloved. And, and here's, he's talking about trust here. He talks about it in terms of um, how we think about ourselves or how we understand ourselves and our identity. He says this, As soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, as soon as I am rejected, left alone, or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves once and for all I'm a nobody. My dark side says I'm no good. I deserve to be pushed aside, forgotten, rejected, and abandoned. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved, the beloved of God. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. What Nouwen is saying here is that the key to trusting others begins with trusting God. That until we hear God say, you are the beloved, I love you, right? Until we hear him say, Maggie, I love you. Tom, I love you. Joel, I love you. Tanner, I love you. Until we hear God tell us that God loves us, not because of something that we did, but just because that's what he, how he created us to be, is to be deeply loved. He created us to be lovable, and he loves us perfectly. Until we hear that, it becomes almost impossible for us to extend that love to other people. 1 John 4 verse 19 says it. You probably know this verse. We love because God first loved us. You receive love, and as you receive the love of God, you find yourself to be lovable. You start to trust that you actually are lovable, and then you start to be able to take the risk with other people who cannot love you perfectly. We know we can't love each other perfectly, but we decide that it's worth it to try. And when they mess up, when they reject us, when they hurt us, when they do the wrong thing, when they let us down, we don't end the relationship. Because our identity doesn't depend on them getting it right. Our identity depends on the fact that God says that we are lovable. That God says that when we mess up, we can do the repair work. That God's willing to hang in there with us, to persevere and walk the long road with us. Trust is something that gets built over time. As there are these breaks in relationships, the repairs happen, and we learn more and more that God telling us we're lovable is actually true. It's actually worth it for people to walk the long road with us. And the same God who says that you are lovable says to that person you're really angry at that they are lovable. We call this in, you know, big theological terms, we call this the imago Dei, which just means the image of God, that every single human being you've ever met bears in them the image of God. God's image, God's picture, God's beloved, uh, God's love rests on them. And when we start to see each other this way, our conflicts become opportunities to move toward one another, to have a, a repair happen in the midst of this relationship, which grows our trust and allows us to take more risks in the future. All of this, though, because we know that God loves us, that we are the beloved, and that's the core of our identity. It all starts with love. We can trust that God loves us, so we start to believe that others might love us too, so we can take the risks that are required to get close to other people. There's this researcher 
named Brene Brown, who you've probably read or heard or seen somewhere. She's pretty popular right now. But she did some research that says that Henry Nouwen is right, that his words are right. She, her research found that people who believe that they are worthy of, love, worthy of love and belonging actually experience a deeper sense of love and belonging. That, that you can't actually experience love and belonging until you believe that you're actually worthy of it. And for, as Christians, we say that we get that sense of our worth from God who whispers our name and says, I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do to ruin it. There's nothing you can do to make it bigger or better. You already have all the love for me that you will ever have, and now you just need to come in out of the storm. Step under the shelter. Trust is something that grows over a long period of time. But love always trusts. Now, when we start to grow in trust, we start to open up and receive love and give love, it produces something in us. Hope. When you start to experience love in these deep relationships and the love of God, you start to have hope that maybe this life is for something. Maybe it's going somewhere. Maybe, maybe your life is part of a bigger story. Love always hopes. I love this quote from Thomas Aquinas about the relationship between faith or trust and hope. He says, Faith believes what it does not see, and hope moves towards something that it does not possess. So faith believes something it cannot see, and hope moves toward it. Hope is an action, right? Hope moves towards, not just an emotion, but an action. Hope is what animates trust. One of my friends, um, she, she had an abortion several years ago, many years ago. And um, I never really understood trust as well as when she showed me some pages from her diary. And so she's given me permission to share these pages with you so that you might better understand what hope is and why it's so needed and how it relates to love. Listen to this. This is what she, read, this is what she wrote. For 12 years, I believed a lot of lies. I was stuck in a cycle of lies and darkness and depression. I had hopelessness all over me. Before my abortion, the lies that I believed sounded like this. This will be over soon, and you'll never have to think about it again. This is the only way to save yourself and to make it okay. Once this is over, you can move on with your life. You don't have any other choices. Everybody's going to hate you. The accuser took away my hope and that there could be any other option. She felt like she was absolutely locked in. She had no other choices. And shame kept her there. There's nobody to trust. And then she says this, but once it was finished, once the abortion had happened, new lies began inside of me. They sounded like this. How could you do such a horrible thing? You should hate yourself. You're a monster. Don't dare tell anyone or they'll think you're a dis disgusting human being. You are worth nothing because you are nothing. The accuser took away my hope that there was any future unless I had an abortion, and when it was over, he took away my hope of any life after an abortion. Friends, that is what despair sounds like. That is what hopelessness sounds like. You believe you are absolutely locked in 
that there is no future, that there's no possibility of love or repair, that you can never be known again, that you must absolutely hide everything that you are because who you are at your core is so wounded, so broken, so disgusting that no one would ever want anything to do with you. That's what she felt. I mean, quite stunningly, oftentimes the only people who are able to bring hope into those places of despair are people have, who have walked those valleys of despair themselves. Like, I could not have gone to my friend in that moment and given her any hope because I didn't know the depth of the despair that she was in. It had to be a person who understood the valley that she was in that would go to her and help her. We call these people wounded healers. Henry Nouwen writes this, nobody escapes this life being, without being wounded. We are all wounded people, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. The main question is not how can we hide our wounds so we don't have to be embarrassed, but how can we put our woundedness into the service of others? When our wounds cease to be a source of shame and become a source of healing, we had become wounded healers. We all have wounds. We all have valleys of despair that we've walked through. This is part of life. And as our wounds begin to heal, as we grow in trust of God's love for us and that we can be loved by others, as our wounds begin to heal, God begins to use those wounds to work the healing of others. My friend thought that she was the only person who'd ever felt this kind of shame, this kind of darkness, this kind of despair. She thought she was absolutely alone in the world. And then she was at a women's retreat one day <clears throat> and another woman shared her own story a story that sounded just like hers. And she couldn't believe what she was hearing. But that woman also shared not just about the shame and the brokenness that she had experienced, but also a sense of forgiveness and healing and love that she had experienced, not just from God, but from people in her community that totally surprised her. And that woman gave my friend the courage to begin to share her story. She went and talked to that woman who had shared, and they began a friendship. Slowly, as she experienced love from this woman who had gone through this valley of despair, she started to believe that maybe God really could love her too. And once she believed that God could still love her, she started to believe that maybe other people could love her as well. And hope grew inside of her because she found a community of people who were consistently trustworthy over a long period of time who put a shelter over her. That's how love works. She met people in her own community. It's like she was meeting people for the very first time, people she had known her entire life when she shared her story and they met her with love. It's like she, like she finally knew them and they finally knew her. And the relationship could really start to deepen. They supported her and surrounded her and they loved her into healing, but it wasn't quick. And this is the last thing that love always is and always does. Love always perseveres. Love is not quick. It takes a long, long time. Trust takes a long time. Building a shelter takes a long time. Hope takes a long time. This word perseveres, it's literal, a Greek word, the, the, the literal translation of this word persevere, it literally means in Greek to bear up underneath a heavy load. 
Love doesn't walk away when the load get he- gets heavy. When things are difficult, that's when love really shines because love flexes its muscles and starts to bear up underneath the heavy load. Love always perseveres, especially when someone shares their wound, when someone takes a risk of being known. When things, gets, gets, when things get hard, that's when love really shines. A group of people, they, they persevered with my friend when things got really heavy. And they helped her carry that load. And their perseverance, their love, helped her to believe that God still loved her too. And she started to believe that her life had purpose and meaning. And that gave her the courage to start sharing her story with other people. And to begin to reach out to women who had been walking through that same valley. And now her life is dedicated to walking alongside women who are in such a dark place they can't imagine that there's a way out. But she begins to tell them that they can be loved. And they can have hope again. Love perseveres. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So here's an invitation this morning. Uh, I wonder if as we've been talking about people that you love, people that you long for, and also people with whom there's difficulty and hurt and harm, and if they're in the room, don't look at them right now, because I wonder if somebody's come to mind for you. I know that I have a couple people in my life where they always come to mind when I talk about this sort of thing. People who, maybe it's difficult, or, or maybe, maybe it's a person who just knows, who, who, do, who, maybe it's someone who needs to know that they can be known and loved. Maybe there's a person in your life and, and they're the kind of person you think, and they just really need to know that I, I'm going to be with them, and I, I do want to have their best in, in mind, and I, I'm, I'm going to love them, and I'm here for the long haul. Maybe there's a person who doubts that, and, and you just need to step up and have a conversation and let them know, hey, I'm with you. I'm really with you. Or maybe it's somebody where there's been a, a, a rupture, a, a burst of some kind, and you need to do some repair work with them. Or maybe... Man, maybe somebody just needs you to show up and be trustworthy for a long period of time, <laughs> you know? And you can think of a person who needs that. Or maybe it's somebody who needs you to be a shelter, provide a shelter from a particular storm that they're in. Or maybe there's someone who's been a wounded healer in your life, someone who has shared their own wounds, and it has aided in your healing. And now you have hope because of them, and you've never told them. Maybe you need to go and tell them. I wonder if this week you might start to pray for that person by name, and if it seems right to you and to the Holy Spirit, maybe you reach out and you connect with them. Maybe you move, make a move toward them and you start to actually do some of these things that love does in the midst of conflict. Conflict is an opportunity to grow in our Christ-likeness, to grow in love. Let's pray. Father, we don't know... Um, Sometimes when we're helping and when helping becomes hurting, um, sometimes we get it so stuck in the, the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves, the fear, the shame, that we can't see our way to trusting anyone, taking that risk. Sometimes, God, it just seems like there's, there's so much despair, so much hopelessness that, that hope is something we just can't even afford, so we can't imagine that there would be a way forward. We stand at the place of impossibility, 
and we wait for you. God, sometimes we just wonder if we'll be able to bear up under the heavy load. We wish somebody would come alongside of us and grab a corner, help us carry this thing, or maybe we see somebody in our lives who's carrying something heavy. We just don't know how to help. God, please give us the courage, the practical wisdom to live love in this world, a love that always protects, that grows in trust, that perseveres, that produces hope in this world that's so desperate for it. Help us to be the kinds of people that you need us to be in the difficult places we find ourselves. In the name of love, we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We invite you to stand and sing with us. Yeah.
The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.